I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Trump's attorneys, the parking lot one, seems to have encouraged Trump's cultists to believe that the Secret Service might intervene to prevent Trump's arrest if he is ordered to jail for contempt of court whenever he finally fully violates one of the many gag orders. This is from Newsmax last night. The Trump flunky Alina Habba is pretending to be the news interviewee and attorney, and the Trump flunky Carl Higby is pretending to be the news interviewer. Could they even possibly throw him in jail? What would that look like? <laughs> he's protected by Secret Service, True. period. So I always tell people when they're panicked, listen, he's protected by Secret Service, number one. Number two, he did nothing wrong. So when people go to jails because they've done something wrong, yep. do we have crooked situations in and out of court? Absolutely. Could they try? Probably, but it won't work because there is still trial process. There is still facts. And unfortunately, they're not going to win on the facts. Secret Service will always protect President Trump. That's the truth. They have to wherever he is. But it's not an, it's not even something we think about, to be honest, because this is all political. It's really not. He's, there's no criminal acts that he's done. There's no civil wrongs that he's done unless making money for banks is a civil wrong all of a sudden. Orange man bad. I mean, that's, it's that's terrible. the problem. It's Trump derangement syndrome yeah. at its best. I'm not worried about him. He's not worried. And, and the American public shouldn't be worried. Yeah. He's succeeding for a reason. Yeah, I will, I will dare this judge to try to throw him in jail. Yeah, campaign First Amendment. Sc- yeah. First Amendment is a thing. The first time I heard that, I thought Alina Habba was definitively saying that his Secret Service detail would protect Trump from being arrested. 
Now, having listened to it multiple times, I think that while she has proven for her 14 months plus in the limelight that she is a raging idiot, she is not actually expressing her idiocy by issuing some sort of passive-aggressive warning to the nation that the Secret Service officers would try to obstruct the court officers from detaining Trump, which they would not even if a scenario required a negotiated apprehension or a surrender and Trump somehow pulled an O.J. Simpson and he tried to flee. But I think she is trying to leave that exact impression within the Trump cult. Don't worry, they can't arrest him because... Secret Service? And in this nation reduced to a tinderbox full of stochastic terrorists programmed by Trump and his followers, it is still goddamned dangerous to do even that. Note that Alina Haba, when asked about Trump going to prison, chooses to say first he's protected by Secret Service. She says it twice, and only then does she claim he did nothing wrong. And then she goes back to the Secret Service will always protect him well a third time. Secret Service will always protect President Trump. That's the truth. They have to, wherever he is. In reality, even Trump would be smart enough to... Okay, even Trump would probably be smart enough to realize that, no, a shootout between court officers and Secret Service with him in the middle would actually not be a smart fundraising strategy. Trump and probably even Haba are likely to be aware that Secret Service works for Homeland Security. And in the event of any real confrontation, if Trump shouted to his detail, are you with me, boys? He would turn around to find that there was nobody behind him. Should have checked the schedule. They all have the day off. Some sort of screw up in human resources. What are you going to do? Whatever the purpose of trying to convince the Trump morons that the Secret Service is some sort of magic, impenetrable shield that will always protect Trump, Haba is clearly dumb enough here to think that if Trump were actually sentenced to prison just for violating the gag order, that the Secret Service would go with him into the prison like the slaves of the dead pharaohs used to go with them to the great beyond. Spoiler alert, they wouldn't. A jailed ex-president would unquestionably get additional security in jail, but it will not be a couple of Secret Service rookies who drew the short straw. And then on a final and entirely separate note, there are several other people who have heard or will hear that interview with Haba and will completely ignore the Secret Service stuff and the usual not guilty First Amendment bluster. This group would include Judge Chutkin and Judge Engeron and Judge McAfee, maybe even Judge Cannon, and certainly Jack Smith and his team, and Fonnie Willis and hers, and Letitia James and hers. And what they heard was this. It's not even something we think about, to be honest, because this is all political. It's really not. He's, there's no criminal acts that he's done. There's no civil wrongs that he's done. What the judges and prosecutors heard there was Alina Haba saying that she and her client do not take the terms of his release on bail seriously. They never think he might actually wind up in jail for violating them. And then they heard a frequent Trump surrogate in this clown Higby saying at the end, I will dare this judge to try to throw him in jail. See, from what little I know about judges, I've heard that they don't like to be dared.
Meanwhile, on the Dementia J. Trump scoreboard, he did it again. He has no idea what day or what year it is. The day part first. Last night at 8.17, he posted another one of those monotone videos, but it had this weird climax. This truly is our final chance to save America, and with the 2024 election now less than one year away. Uh, no, Sonny, it's, it's not less than one year away. I mean, I mean, you're close. It's a year from this coming Sunday. But, dear listener, if you were asked what day it was, and you got it wrong by five days, and you weren't just coming up out of a coma or something, your relatives might peel out of the room in order to try to get you professional help as quickly as possible. As to the wrong year part, he did that again, and again provided compelling proof that his mind is cracking, and this has a delightful bonus surprise to it, evidence of insomnia. It was just a pared down. He really can be terrified sometimes. 27-word salvo, but boy, oh boy, does it underscore one point, that Trump is clearly detaching from the easiest parts of reality. You know, the when it is and the where you are parts. At 1.12 a.m. Eastern, he posted, quote, Biden and his radical left thugs waited three years to bring these indictments, unquote, and this cannot be overstated. One of three things is wrong with him here. He either thinks we are currently in the year 2024, or he doesn't remember that he was president three years ago, or he can't successfully subtract three from 2023. Again, he posts that message at one in the morning, but then he reposts it three hours later at 4.24 a.m., and before you normalize that and you say, that's well, nothing special for Trump, just a reminder that the new barometer here is a simple one. If Joe Biden were crazy enough to have started his own social media site just to allow himself to post crazy stuff and read only adoring stroking from the members of his cult, and he posted the same crazy thing twice in three hours, in the middle of the night, getting the year wrong, what would they be saying about Joe Biden? Not what would Fox be saying about Joe Biden, but what would the both-sidest Times and Post and Networks be saying about Biden? The point of this, again, if you missed yesterday's edition, is about two startling polls, one from Pennsylvania last week and another nationally by the Associated Press from August, the unmistakable conclusion of which is that there will actually be only two groups of voters in 2024, you know, a year from Sunday, the 43% who think that both Trump and Biden are too old and the 57% who are everybody else. And as counterintuitive as it sounds, the everybody else the ones who think Biden is too old and Trump isn't, the ones who think neither are too old, the ones who support RFK Jr. because they're firmly convinced he's actually JFK Jr., everybody else. They are nearly evenly split on who they are going to vote for, or they are leaning towards Trump by varying margins depending on the state, a point, two points, maybe five, six, seven in some of the red states. And the other 43% who believe they are both too old are going to vote Biden by 61 to 15. In Pennsylvania, 
it's 66 to 11 as of last week. So if you can pump up the number of voters who believe they are both too old, even just from, you know, 43 percent to 48 percent, you've got the makings of a Biden landslide. Even if every single undecided in the both are too old group were to break for Trump. So the strategy has to be to make a headline out of every Trump gaffe and every Trump bit of confusion and everything that we have come to accept as Trump's baseline mental incompetence. There are lots of subtexts to this new key American voting bloc, Ageists United, but the key is that they are not exclusively Democrats, and there is lots of room to grow them among soft Republicans and especially independents. And the only vaguely political who know that the election is important, but will be damned if they know why. Thus, we cannot just skate past these little things anymore. The likely Republican nominee for president of the United States, no matter how used to his madness we may have gotten, was up at quarter past one in the middle of the night, went on social media, posted paranoid inanities, and in the process got the year we are living in wrong. And then three hours later, he was up, up again, up still, and he decided he had not yelled loudly enough at that cloud. So he reposted his inanities and still did not notice or did not care that he got... The year wrong. Donald Trump is too old. We're not talking about Biden now. You think whatever you want to about Biden's age. They're both too old. Fine. Whatever. Welcome to the club. Sign here. And if the Biden campaign does not want to play this game, if they do not want to run with my idea of the slogan, my old man can beat up your old man because they think if they ignore it, maybe on his birthday this month, Joe will turn 79 instead of 81. Well, fine. They don't have to carry the message. Everybody else can do it for them. Sure, they're both too old. So that allows you to go back to judge who you're voting for on which one is old and which one is old and crazy and evil. Thank you, Nancy Faust. To the House now, and anybody else got an ineffable sensation that Speaker Mike Johnson is not going to last till Christmas? It is perhaps the political definition of our time that only an obscure and non-vetted backbencher with a name that sounds like an unimaginative alias for a registered sex offender could manage to get elected anything within the collection of boxing hobos that comprises the House Republican Caucus. But that comes with the potential time bomb that he's unvetted, not because there's nothing to vet, but simply because he had hidden it well or they just hadn't gotten around to him yet. The stuff coming out about the fifth string speaker is amazing. I mean, amazing even for a Republican, even for a Bible thumping Republican. First thing Mike Johnson did after election was to say God put him there. I mean, insisting the almighty voted for you is okay, I guess, if you are the comic relief mayor of New York. But it could be politically dangerous if you are a new Speaker of the House who was obviously placed there not by the Lord, but by Trump and the archangel Gates. And then the second thing they did, Johnson and his colleagues 
knelt in a circle on the house floor, and they weren't shooting craps. And then it was off to the races. Indefatigable anti-gay writer for the last 20 years. Virulent Christo-fascist. He taught at Liberty University, where the liberty turned out to be how the founder had the liberty to have as much sex with the pool boy as possible. He has publicly stated he believes the Ken Ham stuff, that humans lived alongside the dinosaurs. He has publicly stated he believes the Bishop Usher stuff, the, quote, calculations, unquote, from the ages of the people in the Bible, calculations that confirm that the universe was created on October 22nd, 4004 B.C., right around 6 p.m. Damn, the anniversary was 10 days ago? And I forgot to send a card? Yes, the Bishop Usher stuff is the same nonsense they laughed at William Jennings Bryan for testifying about during the Scopes Monkey Trial in 1926. The Speaker of the House of Representatives thinks these are facts. And he's the former representative for the giant replica ark that The other creationists built in Williamstown, Kentucky, the one that they had to close when, in an irony of biblical proportions, literally biblical proportions, the ark flooded. Somebody miscounted their cubits. Then... Huffington Post found the mother load, the website of Johnson's apparently even battier wife, Kelly Johnson, Onward Christian Education Services, on which there were live documents comparing being gay to incest and bestiality. Within 24 hours, Kelly Johnson had taken the entire site down, which suggests A, she has the internet savvy of a flounder, and B, her faith in the Lord ain't quite what she says it is, and C, She never heard of the Internet Wayback Machine, which God invented. Now, my old friend David Korn of Mother Jones has found something else. A 2016 seminar by these ugly Johnsons called Answers for Our Times, Government, Culture, and Christianity. And we are now way past bestiality and homosexuality and the land of the dinosaurs. We are at mandatory religious exams for all American political candidates. Johnson told the assembled, quote, I want to know what you think about the Christian heritage of this country. I want to know what you think about God's design for society. Have you even thought about that? If they hadn't thought about it, you need to move on and find somebody who has. We have too many people in government who don't know any of this stuff. They haven't even thought about it, unquote. Well, Mike, that's probably because it's bullshit. You know what Mike does not say in the transcript of that 2016 seminar, parts of which he's repeated as recently as 2019? He does not say no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. The Speaker of the House does not believe that. Article 6, Clause 3 of our Constitution does believe that. And on top of all this screwball Bible stuff, Mike Johnson also appears to be an idiot. He did a full sideshow Bob Rake step yesterday. He tried to tie $14 billion in aid to Israel to $14 billion in offsets 
and of all the offsets he could have picked. $14 billion taken out of the defense budget, $14 billion taken out of liberal causes, whatever. He selected funding to be taken from the expansion of the Internal Revenue Service. He wants $14 billion cut from the IRS, specifically the money being spent to enhance the investigation of wealthy tax cheats, which on top of having no possible relationship to Israel or to the two parties' arms race to show which one of them is more pro-Israel at the moment, that does not offset anything. It will, in fact, add $30 billion to the deficit because we don't get the tax cheats money that way. We got laughed at by the Democrats, raged at by Mitch McConnell. Susan Collins not only looked at him like she was about to mention how many lessons he still needed. She said he not only needed to rethink the package, but he needed to put the Ukraine aid back into it. Even Joni Ernst sat up and took notice. And then... Mike Johnson took time out of his rake hunting expedition to hire Raj Shaw to build the communications operation inside the speaker's office. Where do you know that name from? Raj Shaw, the former Trump deputy White House press secretary who went directly from that low level entry job to becoming senior vice president in charge of Tucker Carlson at Fox News. The one who told Murdoch and company that it had better push more election denialism or it would lose more viewers. The guy they then fired from Fox after the lawsuit was settled. And I'm proud to say, Rod Shaw, a fellow Cornell alum. He's over there on our <laughs> the admissions office frequently screws up list with Ann Coulter, with baseball commissioner Rob Manfred, with Marr. Anyway, back to the point. I don't know about you, but all this Johnson talk has the feel of being just the warm-up act. As the reporter and our preeminent George Santos scholar Jacqueline Sweet wrote, quote, I want a Mike Johnson sex scandal, but I'm also afraid of how gross and creepy it will probably end up being LOL. And if you weren't already thinking that might be a remote possibility, sure enough, what frog marches out of Johnson's office yesterday afternoon? A frog. Well, a guy in a frog suit wearing a sign reading, Jumping for Joy for Speaker Johnson. And you know, if this isn't the sign of a sex scandal, there is, given Johnson's religious rap sheet, an even more disturbing possibility. The frog plague has begun, hasn't it? Uh, also of interest here, the Secretary of Homeland Security, you know, the boss of all those Secret Service agents. The Secretary of Homeland Security answered Josh Hawley so thoroughly that they had to carry the senator off in buckets. And the Arizona Diamondbacks so thoroughly humiliated themselves in Game 4 of the World Series last night in falling to Texas, which now leads the Fall Classic, that's just a brand name now, leading the Fall Classic three games to one. It was so bad, I'm not really sure why they are going to play a Game 5 tonight. And best of all, Elon Musk proves his new Cybertruck will keep you safe if you are attacked by a detachment of medieval French 
archers. That's next. This is Countdown. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann, my crazy friend. Postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. And these are the places making news. Dateline Washington, when the right-wing Washington Examiner headlines the story of a Republican senator's day with, quote, Mayorkas shuts down Hawley's anti-Jewish claim, I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. That Republican senator has had a really bad day. Josh Hawley, a.k.a. Running Man, tried to pin a pro-Palestinian tweet by a Department of Homeland Security employee and paint DHS as anti-Israel and put that on Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Mayorkas then did to him what the insurrectionists Hawley raised a fist of support to on January 6th would have done to Hawley if they had caught him. Frankly, Mr. Secretary, I think that your performance is despicable. And I think the fact that you are not willing to provide answers to this committee is absolutely atrocious. Mr. Chairman, may I? Like, if you'd like to have a, a minute to respond, you were oh, allowed I, to. I would, and I'm not sure I'll limit it to 60 seconds. That's fine. Number one, uh, what I found despicable is the implication 
uh, that uh, this language, tremendously odious, um, uh, actually could be emblematic of the sentiments of the 260,000 men and women of the Department of Homeland Security, number one. Number two, uh, Senator Hawley takes an adversarial approach to me in this question, and perhaps he doesn't know my own background. Perhaps he does not know that I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. Perhaps he does not know that my mother lost almost all her family at the hands of the Nazis. And so I find his adversarial tone to be entirely misplaced. I find it to be disrespectful of me and my heritage. And I do not expect an apology, but I did want to say what I just articulated. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, can, can I just respond since he has referenced me personally? Senator Hawley, we need to move on. Senator uh, Romney, you're... Uh... To paraphrase the Republican chairman there to Senator Hawley, by Felicia. By the way, you may have missed it, but in there, Secretary Mayorkas slipped in a subtle fact that suspended author of the anti-Israel tweet was appointed to DHS during the Trump administration. <laughs> Dateline, a state house or a Senate near you. Most and least popular senators and governors per the monthly morning consult poll. Most popular, Governor Phil Scott of Vermont. Approval rating, 83%. Also, there's Governor Gordon of Wyoming and Governor Sununu of New Hampshire. The top senators, Barrasso of Wyoming, it's 70% approval. Schatz of Hawaii, 65%. Least popular, Ron DeSantis. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, 47%, but it was 39% disapproval in the first quarter. And Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi. And Dateline Elon Musk's tiny little mind. He has released another proof of performance video for one of his exploding inventions. This time it is the Cybertruck. He had somebody fire an arrow into the side of the Cybertruck to prove it's something just to make this even better. Well, what's missing from this equation? Musk, the Cybertruck, a bow and arrow. Why, <laughs> that's right. Who else could he choose? But he had Joe Rogan fire the arrow from a crossbow that was almost as big and shiny and full of holes as Joe's head. I mean... <laughs> In a response to the tweet with that video, somebody said the Cybertruck was on fire, like most of Musk's inventions. And yes, what you heard was correct. The arrow bounced off the side of the Cybertruck, so you can rely on it in case you and George Custer are ever driving through the Battle of the Bighorn. On this heavy production episode of Countdown, it is scary enough to be told when you are 20 years old, here, Keith, here is the home phone number of a very famous person in your field. They know you are going to call them, go and interview them, and when you call, and when he answers, he pretends to be 
somebody else. In fact, he pretends to be a woman. Things I promise not to tell next. First time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. And by the way, congrats to Dr. Dave Dunning, who has won the Society of Experimental Social Psychology Scientific Impact Award because the famous paper that he and Justin Kruger wrote in 1999 at Cornell unskilled and unaware of it, how difficulties in recognizing one's own incompetence led to inflated self-assessments. The dawn of the Dunning-Kruger effect. That paper just keeps on getting quoted daily. They're both going to the Hall of Fame. Anyway, here they are. Worse, my old pal Kirsten Cinema. The National Republican Senatorial Committee has now presented its brand new internal polling on the race in Arizona. This is according to Punchbowl News. You ready? Ruben Gallego, Democrat, 41%. Carrie Lake, crazy woman, 37%. And in last place, last place, with less than half of what Carrie Lake is getting and taking most of her support, not from the Democrats, but from the Republicans like Carrie Lake, Senator Kirsten Sinema, 17%, the incumbent in third place. So now the Republicans want to run her out of town too. But don't worry. She'll be fine. She said so. She saved the Senate. She saved the filibuster. She can now become a member of any corporate board in the country or president of a university. <laughs> yeah, you got it, Cinny. Congrats. You're the next president of Faber College. Worser, Laura Ingram. Uh, say, this is quite the unexpected theme developing here for worse persons. Kirsten Cinema, Laura Ingram... Anywho, Laura Ingram was showing off her only skill on Fox, mocking successful people. She was howling with laughter because President Biden referred to the Webb telescope. Then he call it the Webb telescope? <laughs> Isn't it the Hubble? Is he thinking of Webb Hubble? <laughs> then she braids some more for a few more seconds. And apparently Laura still does not realize that two Christmases ago, we launched the Webb telescope which is the upgrade for the Hubble, the Webb telescope, which was what the president was referring to, because he's the president and he's smarter than Laura is. She's mocking somebody for being right when she's wrong. Trust me, that sort of sums her up. But you do have to excuse her. In college, Laura studied Russian and alcohol. But our winner, the worst. Nah, I couldn't find a third ex. I get along with most of my exes. My 49 years worth of X's. <laughs> so instead, it's Dean Phillips, the Mike Johnson of the Democratic Party, the congressional non-entity from Minnesota, who just has to challenge President Biden for the nomination because Biden's too old. Oh, did I mention that Biden wins a landslide if half the voters believe that he and Trump are both too old? Go old or go home. Anyway, turns out that in 2019, Representative Phillips, noble Democrat, received the maximum $2,800 personal campaign donation from Harlan Crow. You know Harlan Crow. He's the owner and operator of Clarence Thomas. Plus, he donates to the truly worthy Democrats and liberals, like Joe Manchin, $2,800. $3,500 to Cornell West. As mentioned, $2,800 to Dean Phillips and $10,800 to Q. 
Kirsten Cinema. Dean Phillips is Harlan Crow is Kirsten Cinema. So I did manage to put an X into all three slots. <laughs> Watch it. I said slots. Today's worst person in the world. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. to the number one story on the countdown on my favorite topic, me, and things I promise not to tell. And this has been a somewhat uh, fierce edition of the program, so let me do something here at the end that's a little lighter. October 27th is the anniversary of one of the damnedest interviews I ever did, and it was with Baseball Hall of Famer Willie Mays. Every time Willie Mays' name comes up, I think of two things. One is that interview at my first job for my first radio network, and like I wasn't scared enough, he did a bit that if I'd have done it, they would have fired me on the spot. The other thing is an amazing injustice that befell Willie Mays that nobody talks about. Okay, so it's a Saturday afternoon, October 27th, 1979, just 43 years ago today, 
and Willie Mays has just been banned from baseball because word has gotten out that he has signed a contract to do promotional events for an Atlantic City casino, and there's a press conference coming up on Monday. I know, try explaining this concept to any current sports fan now used to seeing retired players on TV, not just telling them to bet on games, but telling them how to bet and who to bet on. Plus, even then, this made no sense. It was like three months after Willie Mays had been inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Three months. Now he's being banned for life for something that today the commissioner of baseball would send him a note of congratulations and a paycheck. So anyway, nobody has done an interview with Willie yet because he has been traveling and my phone rings in my little cubby hole at United Press International's radio network. Three months? That, coincidentally, was how long my full-time broadcasting career had been to this point. And on the phone is maybe the top baseball reporter of his day. Keith, it's Milt Richmond. This man once reported in July 1955 that if the Milwaukee Braves didn't start winning, that they would fire their manager exactly one year later. They didn't start winning, and exactly one year later to the day they fired their manager. That's how good Milt Richmond was. Keith, write this phone number down. It's Willie Mays' home. He's expecting your call for an interview about this banishment story. I squeaked, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I went into one of our recording studios and I dialed the number. And I will not recreate the voice that I heard answer Willie Mays' phone because while doing this voice was once considered to be a staple of American humor, even American humor written or performed by liberals. James Thurber's short stories are full of this voice. The voice is wildly racist. It is racist enough that if today you heard an African-American man do this voice, you might still say, eh, nah, still racist. It is a voice similar to that of the actress Hattie McDaniel who won the Academy Award in 1939 for Gone with the Wind, who was a world-class blues singer, a top patriotic fundraiser during World War II, who played maids, housekeepers in maybe 200 films. She also played one on a famous radio show and was paid so little that while she was performing her role of the maid, she had to keep working as a real maid. Anyway... I'm 20 years old, and I have to interview Willie Mays about him getting banned from baseball. By the way, getting banned from baseball at the same time they were banning Mickey Mantle from baseball for doing promotional announcements for a casino. And I call Willie Mays' number, and I'm shaking like a leaf, and the phone is answered, and a gravelly but feminine voice that sounded exactly like Hattie McDaniel says, Hello, Mr. Mays' residence. And I am a little thrown by this, but I power through and I explain who I am and she says, uh-huh, and I say where I'm calling from and she says, uh-huh, and I say, Milt Richmond said Mr. Mays was expecting me and she interrupts me and says, this is Willie. The Hattie McDaniel-like impersonation was done by Willie Mays. Now, I do not have this on tape. Silly me when they said you could never start recording before you got express permission from the interviewee to start recording, I believed them. Anybody else would have a tape of the phone being answered and that impression done by Willie Mays. 
I'm afraid you will have to take my word for it because why would I make this up? October 27th, 1979, and honestly, I still haven't recovered from Mr. Mays' residence. Now, the injustice about Willie Mays that nobody talks about. This is something else no fan believes today. The U.S. military used to draft Major League Baseball players and NFL players and NBA players and other athletes and send them into the service in the middle of their seasons, in the primes of their careers, even if there was no war in progress. Now, they only did it a couple of times after, say, 1945, and usually... That was thinly veiled racist political pressure, like when they drafted Muhammad Ali in 1966, when he was heavyweight champion of the world and an activist Muslim and 24 years old when everybody else who was getting drafted was 18. Remember? But in 1952, they drafted Willie Mays. Willie Mays had come up from the minors the year before and led the New York Giants from 13 games back to the National League pennant and was the kind of all-around whirlwind of a player nobody had ever seen before. And on May 29th, 34 games into his second season, boom, he was drafted and inducted and he missed the rest of that season. And he missed all of the 1953 season. They didn't draft Mickey Mantle who also broke in, also in New York, also in 1951. And to be fair, Mickey Mantle had about 400 medical problems, but they also didn't draft 1951 American League Rookie of the Year Gil McDougald of the Yankees, who was a white guy, or Walt Dropo, who was the Rookie of the Year in 1950 and was a white guy, or Roy Seavers, who was the Rookie of the Year in 1949 and was a white guy, or, or, or you get the point. Now, trying to calculate should-have-beens and would-have-beens in sports is a risky business, but you can get a statistical approximation. If a player hits 20 homers in his first season, then misses two years, then comes back and hits 41 homers in his first year back, you can extrapolate from that that he probably would have hit 27 homers in the first missing year and 34 in the second missing year. Your numerical sequence is 20 homers, then 27, then 34, then 41. You have to tinker a little bit with it in Mays' case because he did not miss all of 1952 just from June on, and he had a slow start. He only hit four homers in the first two months of 1952. So instead of 27 that year, maybe he only hits 24. So a good guess as to how many homers Willie Mays did not hit because he got drafted and all the other guys didn't, the good guess is all told he missed the chance to hit 54 homers that he probably would have hit. In real life, Willie Mays finished with 660 career home runs. For most of the 1960s, it was thought he was the man who would challenge Babe Ruth's career home run record, not Hank Aaron, but Willie Mays. Willie Mays hit 660 homers, but if you give him the 54 more homers he might have hit if he hadn't been so curiously drafted in 1952, Willie Mays finishes with 714 home runs, which is exactly how many Babe Ruth hit. 714. So no drafting, and maybe in 1972 and 1973 and 1974, we are seeing Willie Mays hit his 700th home run. 
and challenging Babe Ruth and coming down the stretch and tying and breaking Babe Ruth's record. And then right behind him, Henry Aaron hits his 715th homer and then his 716th homer to break the all-time record held by Willie Mays. done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully studio at the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire here in New York. Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel arranged, produced, and performed most of our music. Mr. Chanel handling orchestration and keyboards. Mr. Ray on the guitars, bass, and drums. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including some Beethoven in there, arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. Sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis. We call it the Olderman theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my crazy friend Tony Kornheiser, and everything else was pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 1,030th day since Dementia J. Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled Countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.